I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. podcast on Celtics blog. I am Adam Motenko. With me as always, my twin brother Josh Motenko. Give me Celtics or give me death. Let's go. <laughs> and Mike Minkoff. How's it going, gentlemen? I'm uh, bracing myself for the uh, heinous positive things that are going to be said about Carson Edwards and Aaron Neesmith after that game against the Cavs. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Today on the pod, we are going to do a bit of a, a uh, early season check-in on how things are going for the Celtics. What things can we glean from what has happened? What is true? What is false? The Celtics, since we last recorded, had... Um, well, we, we recorded after that horrible Knicks game, so they had the loss to the Knicks game. Since Jadim, T- Jason Tatum has been out, they've, they lost three straight and then beat the Cavs badly. Um, two against Philadelphia, two losses against Philadelphia. We can talk about Embiid and the, and the, uh, the refs if you guys want and how the Celtics defend him. Um, but I never want to talk about the refs. <laughs> I just want to make that. But if we ever talk about the refs on this podcast, it is solely because of Adam Motenko. You're making Josh. Do you agree with that? <laughs> no, I don't subscribe to blanket statements in general. Isn't that a blanket statement? Anyway, nine and six on the year for the Celtics. Um, it's been up and down, and and it made me. It's making me think about when we came into this season, and and really every year we've had a question that we've been. Uh, talking about on the podcast continuously throughout the season. Last year it was, do we have the size to guard the Sixers and Embiid? Do we have anybody that can match up against him or other bigs in the league? That question still exists. Uh, We thought we had the answer in Tristan Thompson. We're going to talk more about whether that is the case or not. But for this season, it really seemed like the question was, do we have depth? Uh, with, With Gordon Hayward out, do we have enough star power? Do we have enough depth? So there were really three things around the stars and depth coming into this year that I I was holding as a question. Number one, can Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown take another leap this year? Uh, that is necessary for this team. This is, these are all necessary for this team to be a, a contender this year. Number two, is Kemba going to be healthy? Number three, what does our depth look like? So just, I want to pause there. And let's take the first two, Josh and Mike, Tatum and Brown. Obviously, Brown has clearly taken a leap. Uh, what do you do? You think there's space? Do you think that will continue? And do you think there is space for Tatum to come back and take his leap, which hasn't quite happened yet? Yes, you can check those two off as our stars. We have three stars on this team. I think we have enough stars to do damage in the playoffs. So, and especially with, you know, the number one and two kind of solidifying themselves right now with Tatum and Brown, you know, both averaging 25 points per game. I mean, that says all you need to say about whether we have stars or not. And we know Kemba's, you know, going to be able to fit into that third star spot, if not, you know, do better than that eventually. Um, I, I think we're all set. We've checked that box, right? You, you said it as emphatically as you could have, Josh. Um the way Jalen Brown has been playing has been ludicrous. He 
is I was looking um, on stathead.com that used to be basketball reference is stat page. And I guess it's now stathead, but uh, on the player comparison and, you know, we've talked over the years about is Jalen Brown, like going to be, you know, could he, could he become Paul George? I remember talking with you, Adam, after we drafted, Jalen and you're like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, those are like the anomalous player development arcs. Yep. Like Jalen Brown's not going to become that. Um and I didn't really argue. I was like, yeah, but rose, you know, green colored glasses compared to where Paul George was at around the same point in his career. Right now Jalen Brown not only is on on par with, he's like notably exceeding. He's not quite at the level um, that Kawhi was in his year five, age 24 season. Uh, he, Kawhi Leonard's kind of per 48, win shares per 48 that year were like 0.27 or, or something like that, which is like heinously, heinously good. Like really, really good is 1.8 or something in that ballpark. Um, Paul George his year five, 20 age, actually his year six, cause he got injured uh, when he was 24, his year six, age 25 season. He was like 0.16 Jalen Brown. So far this season is, is 0.20 uh, win shares per 48 minutes. Um, just absolutely uh, insane. He, he's like, not, not that he's in the same universe as Kawhi at the same age, which is something I didn't think he was going to be able to say um, based even on his, development path a, a year or two ago he's in the same universe as like Dwayne Wade uh at the same age not the same number of seasons in the NBA uh who was like 0.232 um so Jalen you know I did not just frankly did not think Jalen could be the focal point of an offense the way he has been while Tatum was out and perform with this usage rate and the efficiency that he's been performing with um so I am just so impressed by Jalen you know, Tatum, we, we know, and we've talked about some of his weaknesses, but he's obviously a stud. Um, and I think most importantly, that other bullet is Kemba looks back. I mean, it's it's really early. We'll see how the knee holds up with more wear and tear. But he looks explosive. He looks great. Um, and, you know, I have some thoughts, Adam, that we can get back to when, in talking about, like, the Philly matchups related to Kemba. Um, and, and, and this depth issue, but I'll hold off for now. I mean, what do you think, Adam? How do you think we are in these questions? I'm so impressed with Jalen Brown. It's really amazing. And and the best part of it to me is that he is so good that I feel like he can push Tatum to be better. Like he's good enough that if Tatum's offense isn't flowing, if he's doing these one-on-one sidestep threes and missing them, Jalen has... Uh, a legitimate gripe in saying, no, I give me the ball. I'll at least run the offense. I'll, I will score. And so that, to me, I think that pushes Tatum in a way that he needs to be pushed. Uh, both of them need to be getting to the line more, but I, I'm just loving what, what Jalen Brown is doing. And I think all of Celtics nation is it's, it's been really impressive and, and unexpected. So, and, I, and I think Adam, he still has more room to grow. Can I ask you, uh, I have a, a true or false on Jalen Brown for you specifically. True or false, the joke's on you and me 
for laughing at Josh about comparing Jalen Brown to Scottie Pippen. Oh my God. I mean, the Scottie Pippen comparison is ridiculous and, and should be laughed at from the beginning. But on my walk today, I was thinking about Jalen Brown after that, what, 33 points in 19 minutes against the Cavs. That, that's and right. And I'm like, is this a Hall of Fame trajectory? I think it might be. And the Scottie Pippen comparison, uh, or at least comparing Jalen Brown to to a 24-year-old who ended up in the Hall of Fame is not insane. It's not insane. Josh, do you want to do a premature victory lap on this? Or uh, or do you just want to stay silent and kind of silently uh, and um, gloat? <laughs> No, I mean, obviously, you know, the truth speaks for itself. And uh, you might find yourself in this position often if you actually look at reality. Uh, but, you know, there, when, we, when the idea of trading for Kawhi was originated, when he was first on the Spurs, you know, for Celtics fans, there was some buzz that, like, Jalen Brown could turn into that type of two-way player. And why would you want to trade someone who could potentially become that? And, you know, that was obviously laughed at. And I just think it's, it's cool how Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum kind of reflect each other. Brown's the one who's more vocal off the court, but maybe not as ready on the court, but he's more consistent. And that kind of shows you what Jason Tatum needs to work on. And so they're kind of reflecting each other uh, when you compare and contrast them in, in these really positive ways. And I think that's just really cool to see is, you know, Jalen Brown did need to get better at decision making and didn't need to get better at the ball handling and just having that kind of responsibility that was given to Tatum earlier because of his talent. And he's now showing, you know, without Tatum even in the lineup that he's able to be that number one option for us. Um, so, you know, I, I don't need to gloat or anything. I, I think that there's more about um, when you've been involved in player development and you've actually developed players, like there's there's things that you notice and there's trends that you see and i think that it's hard to compare it to anything else that like people who haven't been involved in basketball don't know about you know and and mike for the last week i've been i've been like festering and fuming about your comments about uh neesmith and how and comparing him to the hiring process that you might have gone through hiring people and, and kind of judging talent in the workforce in the private sector or what have you and you know, I, I even like was talking to some coaching buddies of mine about like, yeah, I had I had to be on this podcast with my co-host, you know, and, and he's talking about how I've hired people and they just start cracking up because there's just something. It's a whole different beast when you're dealing with this age group, this, you know, cultural population, um, this type of sport, even in comparison to other sports, you know, basketball players are often a little bit more self-involved or in a different way at a younger age than other athletes in society. Um, and so there's just a, the, the handling of it and, and watching their development and seeing certain things. I think that you, you know, it's not for everybody and, and it's important to, to distinguish between like who has experience doing that and who does it. So Josh, what do you, what, what are you saying is the difference? What does Mike or somebody else need to understand about, working with this population or about how evaluating them looks different? Um, it's really hard to put your finger on it. I don't know. When, I'm, when, when the spotlight's on, I'm not sure exactly what to say. You know, I just know that it's easy to tell what's not, uh, what doesn't correlate. 
you know. And, yeah, and I, I mean, Josh, sense. how much time have you spent working in a private company, working on a team in that dynamic? Like, I, I, I appreciate your your experience in coaching, but te- humans operate in teams and and uh, skill building. Those are those are pretty universal human behaviors, and there are pretty universal factors about how people respond to. Um, coaching and development and yes absolutely they're different populations and they need you know they need to be handled different ways and they there are different techniques and strategies and and opportunities and resources available and objectives as, as far as the specific skills you're trying to cultivate but things like team culture and uh, culture building organizational processes um, and and systems uh, the way people respond to certain types of uh, leadership and coaching and mentorship the there are some university universalities there so I'm, i appreciate you and your coaching buddies snickering about about my comments i stand by them to be honest um i think i think you're being arrogant and dismissive of um the fact that the rest of the world actually probably operates in, in ways that have similarities to a world that you're thinking is very unique on its own and i, I don't dismiss the fact that there's unique characteristics to, to working in basketball um, but there there are pieces of of just uh, growth personal growth human growth behavioral uh, uh, change o- over time that that certainly extend beyond just a basketball court but yeah look Mike if we were podcasting about the private sector I would defer to you but you know, and and as an academic, as a psychologist, like I get it, I I really understand that there's there are commonalities, but all the coaches, all the players, all the executives disagree with you. They they all feel like they're like that's the guy the most, who doesn't agree in blanket statements. <laughs> no, but that that's the most media type of thing to say. The media are disconnected from the game. They're the ones kind of all around the perimeter. They want to know what's going on in all the conversations. They want to speculate, but they don't, they aren't inside. They don't have the, you know, any experience at it. Um, and, and the, the people who have experience at it, you know, that's why there's a separation between the court and the fans. You know, there, so here, here's the thing, Josh, there's two different things you're talking about. One, you and I have the exact same amount of experience evaluating Aaron Neesmith and his work habits as a person. You and I have spent the exact same amount of time with him as an individual and a worker that responds to coaching. For both of us, it's speculative. You have more coaching experience in basketball context to drop on, absolutely. But neither of us know anything about him as a worker. So yeah, right, but we're, I'm just, we're I'm just saying things. I'm just, I'm, I'm just. So, I, so we're on a bas- because we're on a basketball podcast. I just want the experience. It, you know, you you brought this up that like I was right about something, you were wrong. I'm not going to take the opportunity to gloat. I'm you just, just going to ask for you a little bit. You literally just no. did, and then I'm made a non-passive aggressive comment about my non-expertise. So don't don't pretend like you're not doing that. <laughs> just put some respect on the experience, because when you and I are evaluating Aaron Neesmith, it's not exactly the same. Because I've developed players his age in his demographic, and you haven't. I've been on the court with players like him, and you haven't. There's a Josh, difference. Josh, I need you to I need you to explain what the difference is. And if, if you're not sure now, that's great. We can come back to it at another podcast. But I think that's important because um, it it's impossible to have this conversation when the contexts are completely different and the people that are arguing from different sides 
don't understand the context of the other. So we have to explain the context of the other. Um, and I think Mike has come in, in, in the last podcast, um, has, has explained where he's coming from. Um, and as a leadership development person, it makes total sense to me. Um, and I'm open to the idea that that may not apply to basketball, but we need more info. So in basketball, players develop at different rates with different trajectories based on different types of experiences. Aaron Neesmith specifically is a guy who's a late bloomer, and he showed that because he was under-recruited. He did a post-grad year and still was under-recruited. And so he's somebody who is showing a later trajectory. And as someone who's worked with junior college players uh, who've often been at the four-year level and then gone down, and, and they've been in different types of situations where their trajectory is off a little bit, I see something there and I recognize it as part of the experience that I have. I don't know if that's true in leadership development or in hiring processes in the private sector. Uh, and I honestly, I don't care because I see a similarity within the same exact context. I think, I think it, it is the same. Um, you do end up having people that, that grow at different rates and sometimes, I mean, the setting matters. A player that gets drafted into the right situation gets the opportunity, gets the right coaching, the right development and mentorship. They're going to have a different outcome. Um, the same thing is true in in the workforce and um, the players. I, the, the like I, I really think it's the same thing. Like everything you just described, Josh, to me, it like sort of makes Mike's point. Like there, there's also cases where people don't get the opportunity. You have an opportunity up to a certain point, but then you need to produce. And if you don't, then you're out. That's true in business. It's true in the NBA. And sometimes people get a chance to come back around and sometimes they don't. And what those those thresholds for, um, for production look like totally depends on the context. So I, I want to, I actually want to say something that's not, I don't like, you know, Josh, I, I don't, I genuinely don't dismiss your coaching experience. I wish I had it. Like that, it, it sounds like an awesome, awesome job and experience that you've had. I, I wish I had been that close to the game uh, for as long as you were. Um, I, I, you know, what, what you just said about kind of Aaron Neesmith as a late bloomer, that's a big part of, so I want to be very clear on my Neesmith feelings on a couple fronts. I don't think he's like an unequivocal bust. I, I have questions about his ceiling as an NBA player. Um, it's obviously early to make any any proclamations, but I do have questions. I, I think he's shown a lack of feel early at the NBA level early going. I don't think that's controversial. Whether it's fair to make any judgments on that, that's a different statement. That's a different conversation. But I do wonder, as a late bloomer, coming in, being picked mid-lottery onto a team where he's really not going to get a lot of opportunities, that affects his potential growth, and it and it and it. One the a question that I've been wondering in the past week since our conversation is, like, you know, we were basically arguing around kind of this concept of like, was this a a, a successful draft pick, or I mean, and I think your your argument would be, at minimum, it's way too early to make a statement one way or the other. And, and more or less what I was arguing is I'm questioning already whether or not this was successful. And it's like, how do we even define a successful draft pick like at mid-lottery for a team like the Celtics? And I think that's part of the argument to me. It's like, what would make, how are we going to, as 
like, how do you, Josh, how would you define this as a successful pick? Because I could see Aaron Neesmith working hard, growing and maturing as an individual. I'm not discounting him as an individual. I think he's a hard worker. He could become a solid NBA player, maybe like in the six to 10, 10 man, or like 10th man role in a rotation within like four five, six years. I don't know if it'll be with the Celtics. Did that make him a good draft pick for us? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it to me. He could obviously exceed that. Like you can't necessarily put that much of a ceiling, but it did raise that more general question to me of like, what would constitute a successful like mid lottery pick? How do, how do, how do you, I think every fan would probably define it differently. So how do you guys, how would you guys define that? It depends. This 2020 draft was a a weak draft, you know? So the, uh, the 14th pick, which is where Aaron Neesmith was picked, is going to look very different next year. The 14th pick in the 2021 draft is going to be a stud. The 14th pick is this, you know, this past year is Aaron Neesmith. You know, I think you could easily look at it in, in the Celtics-focused eyes as, you know, would you have picked Neesmith at 26? Would you be happy with Peyton Pritchard at 14? I mean, just flip them, and, and Danny Ainge still did an okay job. Um, as far as, how, you know, evaluating... A pick you can compare them to people in previous years you know what, what did the 14th pick you know there's there's sites that show what the 14th pick has produced on the nba court stats wise and you can compare your 14th pick to them you know there's lots of ways to compare it but okay. when you're looking at certain do players you have, do you have an evaluation of it josh or are you just talking your way around the ways that one can think about it uh, my my evaluation of it was we needed to use that pick on this past year on a shooter, someone who could shoot. And to me, it was down to Neesmith and um, Bay, right? the dude on Detroit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so, you know, looking back on it, you know, a month later, two months later, we'd rather have Sadiq Bay right now. But in three years, I'm not sure if that's the case. I don't know yet. You know, I, I, I really think the Celtics could have done great with Sadiq Bay because he plays a position of need too. You know, we need shooting, but at, at the three, shooting's a little different than at the four where you could, you know, slide Tatum or Brown down to the three and not have to have them play any minutes at the four because you got a guy who could really shoot like Sadiq Bay as opposed to Grant Williams, you know. Um, but, you know, I think it depends on is it a good draft year or not. That's the first thing okay. you got to ask yourself when looking so, at what do I want from the 14th pick. So Neesmith is a, a developmental prospect, it sounds like. Uh, and and apparently he's just not ready. Who is also a late bloomer and older, so that's not quite what you want out of a late lottery pick. Uh, it's not what this team needed this year. Uh, it's it is hard to evaluate this now, um, but clearly he's not he's not what we were hoping for here. Uh, I just want to make sure that we're not evaluating him based on what we need right now. Like at, at month two of the NBA season is not when you evaluate whether you had a good draft or not. No, because sometimes I, I, I agree with that generally, but, it, but, but the question, the question for me, no, I mean, I totally agree with that, Josh, but like it's when, you know, Neesmith is 21, you know, he's going to get limited opportunities and you know, the Celtics are basically in contention mode for the next four, five years while we've got Brown and, and Tatum kind of ascending into superstardom. Um, the question is like, the question is to me, we'd want to surround them with guys that can contribute sooner than later. 
does that mean two months into their NBA rookie season? Not necessarily, no. Um, but it's unclear to me that Neesmith is going to be ready, and this is what we were talking about last week, ready to go even sometime next year. This, like, And that that's where I get a little worried about how, how uh, appropriate of a draft pick he was relative to someone like Bay who was available. He's a wing. It's the most important and difficult to find position in the NBA. This team currently severely lacks depth at that position. The door has been wide open for him or anybody else with a modicum of skill and ability to step through and take 20 minutes a game. And he can't, he can't even do that. You've got Javante green who was out of the league at 25 years old in, in like second, <laughs> like he's an amazing athlete, but he's not a real NBA player. You've got Shemi Ojale who you have described Josh as somebody who can't dribble. And finally he may have a shot uh, like a, a three point stroke now. Um, but he has his limitations. You've got these guys that we really don't want to be playing, playing over Neesmith. And so if you're not, a, like if that is not a good enough opportunity in terms of, you, you said you shouldn't evaluate him based on the team's current needs. The current needs are the same as, the, as their future needs will be, unless they have some other windfall of a Gordon Hayward situation where they've got tremendous wing depth. There's, there isn't a single team in the NBA that has that. So... The, but all of that, all of that evaluation, all of that would be true if this was a guy who just needed a shot. This is a guy who needs time. Isn't that he the needs problem? experience? Isn't that what we're saying? That's the issue. Yeah, that that's what worries me. Is is he's not? But that shouldn't worry you. It should make you be patient with the kid. You know, like not Romeo Langford should be playing minutes. Not in a situation Romeo, where time is a factor. You, what is he? He's, he needs to be twenty five to be like. How long do you wait? Like he, he should be at a certain, he should be at a certain level where he can get ten to fifteen minutes a game. What because the opportunity is there. He was drafted fourteenth. He was a you know a college all star in many respects. The expectation, like I, I don't think that's unreasonable. I think that's what the team expected too. So the other part of this is that Romeo Langford, you know, should have been playing fourth quarter minutes with Tatum out in these last few games. Yep. You know, he would have been getting all these minutes. It wouldn't even be a conversation. You know, this is this is if had Romeo been in the lineup, why we wouldn't even be talking about how we need Neesmith's trajectory to happen faster than it naturally would. Yep. Again, you're just making the point of how much opportunity is there for him, like how low the bar is for what he should be able to do in order to get minutes. It's so low and he's and he's not hitting the bar. Though he did, with his performance against Cleveland, elevate his PER from the negatives back to the positives, up to 3.37. So he's got that going for him. That's a, you know, infinitesimal, uh, infinitesimally large improvement. Yeah. So, so we, we're into the depth conversation. I want to swing us back around a little bit to, to the the um, conversation that we were having. And, and maybe it's maybe we'll revisit the specific pieces here in the future of like Mike Tatum. Jason Tatum has been out. I'm curious if you think he's has the up if he you think he is going to take another leap or if there's room this season for that. And Josh stated that Kemba, you both stated that Kemba looks amazing. I'm going to withhold my judgment until I see consistency, especially after he's reached well, his, uh, his minutes max. Well, so, I mean, as far as Tatum, I or as far as the team in general. So we have been frustrated with this team. We've been negative about this team. Um, uh, they have not had their full complement and certainly not their 
three um, all you know all stars healthy at the same time yet, um, and they're nine and six uh, with a plus two point two point differential. They have the second best record in the East. Um, I actually thought one of the things that was really interesting and frankly a really positive sign from my perspective against Philadelphia. So we lost those two games. We played very hard. We competed against a team that clearly at that point in time had more talent because we did not have Tatum and Kemba was working his way back. Uh, Kemba was had a net rating of minus 20 in the three game his first three games back. Um, which was the Knicks game where we got blown out and then the those two Philly games. He was he had our worst net rating on the team. Why that's I think positive and relevant is because Kemba clearly wasn't Kemba when Kemba's healthy and like operating. And we started to see the real Kemba in the Cleveland game. He is one of our last, last season. He was one of our best players in terms of net, you know, uh, net, net plus minus. He, he will positively impact uh, winning for our team. And I, I bring this up because for someone like Tatum, Playing next to like a healthy Kemba and playing next to this version of Jalen Brown, yeah, I think Tatum's going to be able to take a leap because defenses are going to be able to focus that much less on him. Like, again, it wasn't that long ago we were in the bubble in the first two rounds when the two of the top like five defenses in the NBA were designing their entire defenses not around Jason Tatum, but around Kemba Walker. And that was an injured Kemba Walker on a bum knee. Um, So... I actually came out of our this past week and especially those two games against Philly saying, you know, we competed surprisingly hard despite the fact that we're missing Tatum. We have crap depth at wing as we just established quite, <laughs> quite extensively in our preceding discussion. Um, and, uh, and yeah, Tatum was out and Kemba, Kemba's rounding back into form. And we were actually pretty competitive um, against a Philly team where Embiid is playing like, pretty much the optimized version of himself. Uh, Tobias Harris is, they're getting the most out of him. Apparently Doc is just the Tobias whisperer. Um, and and I think we, you know, we were we were in those games and we should have lost both of them and we did. Um, but I, th- I think that can turn pretty easily with a, with Tatum in there for, you know, 35 minutes instead of the Shemi, Javante, poo-poo platter um, and <laughs> Kemba playing 35 minutes and hopefully a healthy Peyton Pritchard, making sure that Jeff Teague is, uh, has pretty limited, limited exposure. Okay. So let's get to that. So uh, the, these three needs for the Celtics to be contenders this year, though, the first two are the most important JT and JB making a leap. That's certainly possible this year and is looking great so far. The second Kemba being healthy looks great so far. I, I love it. He looks amazing. Those are the most important ones. You still need the third, which is depth. So you brought up Jeff Teague, Mike. We've talked about Tristan Thompson in the past. I'm recalling these conversations we had in the offseason when they signed him. Uh, and one of the, underneath depth, to me, there's, there's the new additions, Thompson and Teague. And then you need three young guys to emerge. We'll, we'll come back to the young guys. But in terms of Thompson and Teague, let's, uh, let's eval- begin evaluating them based on, on how they've played so far. So with Tristan Thompson, there were really three goals of his, his addition. And, and I'm thinking back again, this is based on the conversation that we had about his offseason expectations. You wanted him to stabilize the D against strong bigs. You wanted his, the team to still be able to switch everything. 
And you wanted him to add and spread toughness amongst the team. Yeah, that's good. I I did want those things. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. So here's what he does bring. He definitely brings some toughness. Not sure if he's spreading it throughout the team, but he definitely brings it. He's amazing on the offensive glass. We expected that too. And he's got some, but it's it's limited versatility on defense. I don't know if they're switching everything. He's not as switchy. He's not switching in a transformative way. Um, has the, the team's grit increased as a result of them, of him? Yeah. Uh, just just our grit score would would be higher because he's grittier than who we had last year. But it's but okay. like you said, he's not contagious. We still have nobody to guard and beat. And he's a total it, black hole on offense. It was disappointing. No, I, think, I think Robert Williams is is someone who's guarded Embiid well at least from the eye test in the past, because he can match the athleticism, you know, and he just hasn't been around or at full strength to, to see that this year. I want to evaluate Thompson based on that. Can he guard and beat Josh? Uh, just like Tice can. I mean, not really, but they're both going to play smart. And, you know, part of our game plan is, is Embiid is going to score 35 or 40, you know, but is he you know, going to the free throw line 15 times, or is he, you know, going to the free throw line less than 10, you know, it's those kinds of things. Like, are we giving him points or is he, is he really dominating because uh, he's also finding, you know, open shooters out of the double team and things like that. I mean, they've got a different offense. They're running a totally different offense with different personnel and it doesn't look like he's in better shape, but he's at least staying on the floor longer. He's playing. He's definitely playing like he's in better shape because he he was able to bring it for four quarters in a way that he wasn't uh, last season. I mean, just look at like the the playoff series where he would dominate the first halves and you could see him fade by the third and fourth quarters. Um, And he was he was you know he he put us away. He helped put us away. I mean, Simmons came up big in the second game in the fourth quarter, but Embiid really took it to us him getting to the line as much as he did as josh was saying is a huge factor like yeah. it, it get, lets him catch his breath um but <laughs> i don't know uh i certainly would foul him every time i tried to defend him if i you know was conscious after the first possession <laughs> trying. and mike his um his his free throw numbers are partially due to the refs you know we can bring them into the conversation slightly and then we can move on because you know he also had that moment at the end of the game where the uh, there were free throws being shot and he's defensively all the way back at his own basket and he's doing that thing that only seven footers can do where you just grab the net and hang on it and you know so you're not doing that if you're not also exhausted not that he's you know he's in a little bit better shape but I, you know he's not like in great nba shape so- yeah i mean yeah i i i didn't really see the refs being a huge like I, I think he 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 does a good job of, of creating contact. Um, and for the most part, I, I thought he was actually getting fouled. Like, that, I don't know. I mean, Tice... Tice would is disagree. Out, is, you know, Tice always disagrees about getting fouled. <laughs> I, I often agree with Tice, but in this case, uh, not as much. You know, and t- to answer your earlier question, Adam, um, yeah, I thought Thompson would be a better foil for MB. This actually leads me to my second true or false for you guys. True or false. Um, Tristan Thompson is a worse MB defender than Ennis Cantor. Oh my God. True. 
True, based on whatever uh, you know, dorky stats you have. I don't have any stats. I did not oh. do any any research on this. This is just a gut feel. This is this is your coach's eye, Josh. I always felt like Emma Cantor did a good job on the bigger players. He's not the ideal guy we want, but neither is Thompson. I think I think Thompson and Ennis Cantor are good to com- it's good to compare them with, to each other, you know, because what Cantor gave us that Thompson cannot do is you could throw the ball into Cantor and get a bucket and and get some post moves. And, you know, not that that's at a premium in the NBA these days, but when we do do that with Thompson, it doesn't go well. He's not a guy who's going to score. I'm going to say that it over and over again. That is very generous of you. <laughs> it doesn't he, go we don't well. want him. We don't want him with the ball in his hand shooting his hook shot. It's going to hit the front rim. When he gets an offensive rebound, I don't really want him going back up with it. I want him finding someone on the perimeter so we can get the ball swung around and get some motion going. Or we get don't want him getting three. the ball like anywhere within the inside the three point line because, as Adam alluded to, he's a black hole. It is not for going anywhere else. <laughs> you guys, but team. Team-wise, defensively, Tristan Thompson is head and shoulders yeah. above Ennis Cantor, and that's really what we needed. And that's part of the grit is like it's predictable grit at the same time on on the end of the floor when you need grit the most and need to be able to be on the same page. But he's not transforming the defense, and the the, the Tristan Thompson that we are seeing is the Tristan Thompson that I expected. Mike, you've been wanting to get this guy at the end of the last two seasons, either either as a buyout candidate or as a trade. And I've been like, I don't see how it's a huge difference from Cantor on defense. I, I mean, I agree with what Josh, everything Josh just said. Um, but when we talked about Thompson in the offseason, it was like, he's switchable. And I went back and I watched film. And he was when he was 23 on the championship cap. Look, but... I, I have no defense. Uh, he, let me, this is what I tweeted <laughs> on January 22nd. I was probably more excited than anybody about the Celtics signing Tristan Thompson. Thought he'd enhance our D and bring a toughness and veteran presence. 20% of the way through the season, my enthusiasm is definitely waning. Tice and Time Lord are simply better. Um, I I got nothing. Like, I thought I expected more. Uh, he has disappointed me. I, I hope that there's more to come. I hope that part of this is like him learning the defense and he'll be able to kind of anticipate better and be in a bit better position on team defense. And our team will perform better when he's on the court than it has, but he's absolutely delivered less than I expected. I also just want to say, cause I think it's funny before we played the Cavs, I got a couple of, uh, uh, mentions from Cavs uh, fans, one saying we need to save Tristan Thompson from Boston somehow, some way, and another saying I knew Celtics fans wouldn't appreciate him. <laughs> I found that super ironic being mentions for me, who literally is probably more excited than anybody about the Celtics signing Tristan Thompson. Um, <laughs> it sounds like they want him back, even though they have six centers already. That, that's true. Uh, here, I got a proposal. Jared Allen for Tristan yeah, Thompson, exactly. straight up. Let's go. <laughs> okay, so then we get to Jeff Teague, who we really needed him to be that vet ball handler who steadies the team off the bench, helps make his teammates better, sparks the offense, doesn't take that much off the table. That's just not who he is. And I don't quite know who he is, but it's not a helpful NBA player right now. No, Um, you you guys are missing. You guys are missing the whole thing here. And maybe Celtics fans are too, if they're disappointed at where we're getting here from Teague and Thompson. We got Thompson for $9 million a year for two years, and we got Teague for the vet minimum. And at those values, we got players with a ton of experience who are bigger name players, and they're upgrades from what we had last year. But 
you know, it's become obvious that Teague is now fulfilling the third point guard role or the fourth point guard role on our team behind Pritchard, and that Pritchard is the one that the coaching staff and other players trust, and that has proven he's the better commodity, and he's getting paid more money as a first-round pick than, than Jeff Teague is. So we, we need to look at these players at, based on their contracts and not necessarily based on their names, which are a little bit overblown because Teague won 60 games one year and has been a starter and was a very high-profile prospect out of Kentucky and because Thompson's won a championship and dates Kardashians and is a big name. Like okay. These guys, we, we got we to lower the expectations. I would have loved if Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens went on like an aggressive PR like media run after we signed Teague being like, yeah, we just signed an, you know, former all-star point guard from a 60 win team and just like tried to spin it that way as if, as if that's the guy we were getting. I'm, I'm glad no one made that effort. Um, and I mean, in, in fairness, like we needed Teague until Peyton Pritchard emerged at a level that maybe Danny Ainge expected, you know, based on that Adam Himmelsbach article from the the Globe talking about like where Wick was talking about Danny's reaction to drafting him, but nobody else seemed to expect Pritchard to be this good, uh, and certainly not this soon. So we needed a backup point guard. I'm I'm not super convinced, Josh, that Teague is better than Wanamaker, still. Um, but you know he he would be serviceable. Uh, it it's just and and we're really lucky about it. It's just clear that Pritchard is a is a um, more solid player, which is a nice a, an excellent luxury for us to have. We have been evaluating Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague. Uh, Brad Stevens did the same, and I'm going to play that soundbite for you right after this. Okay, so this is Brad Stevens responding to a question at the pregame camp press conference before, right before the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers game. So I'm going to play the question and then his response. And I'm curious about what you guys think about this. Chris Ryan. Hey, Brad, wanted to ask uh, what your evaluation is of what you've gotten from Tristan and, and Jeff this year as compared to what you were hoping for. I think it's early in the season and those guys like our team is adjusting to one another. Um, obviously there comes a point in time where we've got to make decisions that are, um, you know, where you have to move forward with whatever you think is best. I think they've both added things at different times that have brought really good value in in certain games. Um, And we just need them to soar with what they do best when they're in the game. Um, I think, obviously, we've talked a lot about the bigs. Uh, Kristen's in in a position with two other guys that have been very productive um, with Tyson and Rob and Rob, especially in limited minutes has been very productive. Uh, and then, um, you know, Jeff, we just have a lot of small guards. And so I'm not sure that we've put Jeff in the best position uh, for him to be successful when he's off the ball, you know, and, and he's been off the ball a lot, but at the same time, you know, obviously Kimba's best position is with the ball. Uh, Peyton Richard's best position is with the ball. And so you're balancing all of that. So I'd say it's a combination of, you know, we have to be patient with those guys. Uh, and at the same time, um, we've, got to, we've got to find a way to play their strengths. Really interesting. It's early. And yet at some point you've got to make decisions and move forward with whatever is best you think is best for the team. 
he's like saying both sides of the coin as he goes along here. What do you guys think about that? Let's start with Tristan Thompson. Thoughts on, on his comments there? No, I, I think, you know, Brad Stevens talking about how you don't, you're not out on the player, but you have to make a decision in terms of minutes right now. And if you see new things or more from that player later on in the season, you can reevaluate. And so I don't think he's just saying two sides of the coin. I think he's saying, you know, eventually you have to decide what you're doing right now. And then you can always continue to reevaluate, but you may be playing that guy less than you had expected. I mean, I, I just, I, I love literally every single thing he said in that. Um, Cause it tell to me, it, it, it says it speaks volumes in a few ways. One, Brad definitely sees what everybody else is seeing. <laughs> he sees that like Tice and, and Time Lord are outplaying Tristan Thompson right now. He sees that Peyton Pritchard is outplaying Jeff Teague right now. And he obvi- you know, there's no question that Kemba Walker is going to be ahead of both of those guys on the depth chart. Um, and at the same time, it, it tells you a lot about, you know, what, how Brad, Brad's approach to relationship management um, team management, uh, you know, team culture and cohesion, you know, there, there's, there's a signal there that these guys were brought in as free agents. They were brought in under a certain premise that they were going to have opportunity to play and contribute to a team that is intent on winning and, and winning at a high level in this league. Um, and they're getting that opportunity and they're going to get that opportunity at the same time. Um, this team is going to put winning above everything else. And so, you know, they, they will, in a very kind of frank and, and direct way, uh, they'll, they'll be, their role will shift if, if kind of time dictates, time, time and performance dictates that that is necessary for this team to reach its, its uh, potential. So, you know, to me, I think it reveals and, and maybe helps assuage some of the things that can be really frustrating uh, in the moment as a fan where you don't have control over and you're like, this guy is obviously playing worse than that other guy. Why isn't, why isn't the other guy playing more? And I think this, this shines a light on that. Um, and there was something Brad said a couple weeks ago that, that made me think a little bit similarly, not on these two guys. It actually made me, it, I feel like it helped explain the Shemi Ojale conundrum from years past where Brad made a comment about, maybe it was last week. It was no more than two weeks ago, but he made a comment about how like the coaches, you know, they're not evaluating just the performance on the floor. They're evaluating every moment of the, for these players, you know, and Josh, you, you can speak on this way more than me, uh, but I'm sure, but um, uh, you know, whether it's how, how they're approaching film, you know, watching film and their time and, and kind of the types of questions they're asking in the film room, when they're going into the gym on their own, when they're in the gym working with the other coaches or how they're approaching their, their sessions with the, the trainers and the fitness and how seriously they take their nutrition, um, what they do kind of in their off time and, and how, how much they structure that to kind of align and maximize their performance in their practices and on the court ultimately. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel like we're getting, and this, this, I, this kind of connects to what we talked about a few episodes ago, just about Brad using the media a bit differently. I feel like we're getting a little bit more insight um, into kind of Brad's 
Brad's thinking and approach to working with these players, setting expectations with these players, and kind of a bit more publicly signaling some of those expectations um, and and using that to, I think, motivate mo- motivate the types of performance and habits that he expects. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. He's just being really clear on what the expectations are for, for the entire team and using the media to judge whether that's actually happening or not. One thing he talked about was we have small guards. That's something that I thought was a glaring weakness of ours in the Philly games. In the first Philly game alone, I counted six poke from behind deflections or steals that they got against our, our smaller guards. Um, you know, I, this is something that Matisse Thibel is really good at. When he's trailing you around a screen, he is liable to block your shot from behind or at least get a deflection. Um, when you use a ball screen and then you back up into your defender who's trailing you and then separate again, there's not a lot of guys who can recover and get back in front of you. And, and Thibel and Maxi were both poking that ball uh, from behind on our smaller guards using their wingspan. Ben Simmons was getting in on the action too. You know, and that's something that is both scary for the Eastern Conference, um, is something to consider for Celtics fans with how small our guards are, and I think is valuable when you're looking at the frame of reference of the James Harden trade and not pulling the trigger to give up those two guys, Thibel and Maxi, and and this is kind of what you're saving is some defensive length and disruption and deflections and turnovers against a, an Eastern Conference rival. Um, and I ben, think that showed itself in, that, in those two games. And Ben Simmons. Let, let's get back to this uh, this depth issue. The other thing that we needed in addition to Teague and Thompson uh, have, providing stability is we needed three young guys to emerge as real rotation players out of the following players. Rob Williams, Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, Aaron Neesmith, and Peyton Pritchard. I'm not even including Carson Edwards and our two-way players. Pritchard obviously has been great. That's one of three. Romeo obviously hasn't played. Uh, he should be back within the month. There's been no update that I'm aware of, but um, he uh, the surgery on his wrist was on September 22nd. It was a four to five month recovery. Uh, he got the, the cast off on December 9th. Um, so he's at month four, uh, I believe. Um, so within the next month, he should be back. Uh, but if you think Romeo's going to solve all of your problems, you're mistaken. And we've seen him, you know, on the court pregame, getting some shots up finally, and and you know, starting to work his way back, which is obviously a great sign. So what I predicted at the in preseason was that we were going to get a lot of bad players who were going to get minutes. And again, this comes back to the Neesmith thing, Josh. That he like it, there, players who have been not playing well are getting minutes here. So Grant Williams has been bad um even though he started recently ojale has been surprisingly acceptable uh same can be said for javante green but in my opinion let's not get overboard with them when you compare ojale and green to our other players they look solid to good but it's not because they are it's because our other rotation players have been that bad if you compare them to uh solid rotation players on good teams i I don't think they make the cut and and for frame of reference, Brad Wanamaker is shooting 25% from three on the year with Golden State, under 30% from the floor in less minutes than he played with the Boston Celtics last year. Um, so we'd be griping about him as well. I love Brad uh, Wanamaker. You can't make me you can't make me take that back, Josh. Yeah, I would take Wanamaker <laughs> over Teague 
every day right now. Sure, but you still aren't getting that player who's making a difference like Peyton Pritchard is. Like you're trying to find what three of those players? Is that what you said? Two of those players? This is to me, it's unrelated. Josh Teague replaced Wanamaker. Wanamaker would be would be somebody who can play off the ball. The way Brad was talking about Teague is not it's not his natural position. Yeah, there, no argument for me that Pritchard is better than Wanamaker. This is okay. this is strictly right, to, a, a Teague, Teague versus Wanamaker question. To answer Adam's question, you have. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, who's stepping up, and I would say you've got um, Robert Williams, who's who's, I think, primed to be that other contributor. Man, he's been primed his whole career. I, I was surprised to hear Brad talk about him the way he did because he, he has been awesome. He minutes. has been awesome in limited minutes. He needs some, he needs consistency. He needs- well, yeah, I mean, he he was just out with um, due to health and safety protocols. He just came back against. Uh, he was. Uh, technically available to play in the second game against Philly, uh, but did not get off the bench. Um, uh, played his first game back against Cleveland. Looked pretty solid out there. And, he and he, he has been so much less erratic, which is like the yeah, highest praise I, I can give him. <laughs> like he he knows where to be on defense and offense, basically all the time. Which is like it sounds so basic, but for him, it's monumental. I, I, I think he, and, and I think this is why I said, I love everything that Brad said. I think there's a, a decent chance as things are trending now that Rob Williams could be our starting center before the season's over. And, and Adam, I think your, your, you know, guarded, guarded response to Josh's uh, statement a, a moment ago is, is, is probably perhaps fair right like we've said this before about rob and and for something derailed it um inevitably but uh i don't know there's a lot there's a lot of good in what what he's doing right now and so we there's a lot of uh what it could or should is like it 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 could be robert williams but all all we know right now is we got peyton pritchard in that category like it it could have been sadiq bay it could have been uh grant williams had he learned to shoot you know between last year and this year, but you know we don't have that. It would have been it would have been Romeo Langford had he been ready to play. The, the issue with Grant uh, is his defense right now, Josh, not his shooting. I think it's both. I think his shooting would make up for the defensive lapses that he has one of every three games because I think two of every three games he's right where he needs to be. So here's here's another way to look at our depth. We got a 17 man roster. Four players on this roster are just not NBA players right now. Aaron Neesmith, Carson Edwards, Taco Fall, and Tremont Waters. Then there's another four who are playing important minutes when they really shouldn't be for any good NBA team. Grant Williams, Jeff Teague, Shemi Ojale, Javante Green. So that actually, this is, this is the third of my, of my true or falses. Shemi Ojale is like an acceptable rotation player for a playoff team, true or false. I'm this season, false. this year's version of Shemi Ojale. Yeah, false. I mean, false. Yeah, still you false. Both, you guys both think it's still false. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, true. I'm, I'm closer to true on that than I ever thought I would be. Same. I think, I think he's his play. I, I think he might be acceptable, like you know, like a tenth man, but right. I don't think I'll have like uh, an emotional seizure. If I see him on the court in a in a high leverage playoff game anymore, oh, and we probably will. 
we probably will, uh, barring barring um, a very meaningful addition at the tri- before the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, I, I've loved watching Javante Green play the last few games. He's played exceptionally well. He's playing really solid defense. He's getting steals. He's getting out on offense and throwing down dunks, and he's shooting like. 0.9% from three or something like that. He's shooting like 9%. I mean, it's a tiny sample size. Uh, ridiculous, like not even worth, it's, it's it's not, that is a, not a meaningful stat because it's so small. But he's not, he's, nobody's going to guard him at three. Uh, so in the playoffs, he's far less playable than he is during the regular season. All right, so that leaves nine guys. Of the remaining two, uh, sorry, of the remaining nine, uh, to me, Robert Williams is still a major question mark, and and as is Romeo Langford. You've got two big question marks. Despite, I, go ahead. I don't think those guys are question marks on the same. Like, uh, I think they're totally like Romeo Langford is a question mark, and he's a question mark. Um, I I feel I have, you know, he he has shown some real things in in very limited time, but his time has been so limited. You really can't evaluate anything. Robert Williams is a legit NBA player. Like it's, it, we might have some questions about his ability to stay healthy, but I I don't have questions about his ability to kind of understand what to do on the court anymore. Okay. So then you, 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 uh, you add in Tristan Thompson, the, even if he, even though Kemba's looking amazing, the sustained health, the, the number of players that are reliable that you can count on on this team is less than you need. Um, and, and so to me, there's three possible sort of outcomes or potential solutions for this. One, you got to develop players. Two, you trade. Or three, it does not get resolved this year. Right. It's most likely going to be number three or a combination of it's not getting resolved this year. And we're going to do both, try to compete and win as we develop some players like uh, Romeo Langford and Anise Smith. I mean, is there something to be said for throwing Anise Smith out there more, even though he can't cut it for that development piece? I so uh, what I would I would say no, and I would say no because I think you are under underselling and undervaluing the fact that given given the hand the Celtics were dealt to start the season, as far as Kemba being out, he's played basically one game this season without a, he's played actually one game this season without a minutes restriction um, or with a lesser minutes restriction. And he ended up playing reduced minutes anyways, because it was such a big blowout. Um, He, we have not had all three of our best players healthy at the same time yet. We have the second best record in the East. We have like the sixth best record in the NBA. Um, We have looked like a really good team at times. Uh, we talked at the beginning of the season that this would be an evaluative first part of the season. I thought the Celtics could very easily be six and nine or five and 10 at this point in the season. Instead, we're nine and six. Uh, and we had the benefit of uh, winning and getting maybe lucky in winning uh, our more than our fair share of very close games. Um, I think we could make a real run if we just get one like real wing. And we have, we have the tools at our disposal to do that. So I would not play players that are not ready to play big minutes to get them to develop. I would play our best units um, and get them as cohesive as possible and and really, really push the evaluation to see what our, our true ceiling and, and potential as a championship uh, 
contender is this season. And if we, you know, as everyone gets healthy, which, you know, we're recording on Monday evening before the Celtics play the Bulls, Tatum's back against the Bulls without a a minutes restriction uh, this evening. And then Kemba is out. Kemba is out, right. So our next game will be our first one uh, after this Bulls game, our first one with presumably, knock on wood, that nothing happens this evening. Um, uh, Kemba, Jalen, uh, Tatum, and Smart all all in the lineup. So I I think we actually could have a really potent run in us, um, and I and I would want us to to look towards really really checking the pulse on our championship contention potential this season. Um, and it, and if we look like we're we're just one one you know meaningful move away. There are there are players like a George Hill out there, like um, me, probably not, but maybe a guy like Demar Derozan. I just don't think we could pull together what we need to to go get someone like that. Josh, um, an Evan Fournier. You know there are players that would be meaningful upgrades on our team that we could that we could look look to and try to grab. So I think this is an irregular year. I don't think you're looking necessarily for the same exact thing that you would every, every year. Like I, I honestly, you know what I want is not to win every single game. I don't need to win now. I would actually like to be a playoff team and roll the dice with the matchups we get in the playoffs because I think the way the standings are going to end up, you, you may end up really getting the sixth seed as the third seed anyway. Um, and I'd like to get a little bit of a higher draft pick in this draft, still make the playoffs, and develop these guys at the same time. So I would like to see Smith out there a little bit more. You know, he banked a three in from the top of the key, which is really hard to do if you're not outdoors on a playground. (laughs) And he got mad at himself. Shot went in. He's going back on defense, shaking his head. Something's obviously off, and he really cares about it. And there's a difference there between him and someone like Carson Edwards, for example, who will miss a bunch of threes and, and he's got that shooter's mentality where he's forgotten everything he's missed and he's just going to shoot the next one like like it's the first one. But I'd rather see a guy like Neesmith who really cares and who's showing visibly that he's upset when he makes a mistake and you can see he plays harder afterwards. And to me, that's what makes him seem like someone who's going to develop into a player. It's also the same thing that I'm seeing different from Embiid this year. You know, watching him miss a free throw in that first game against the Celtics and getting really frustrated with himself when he was talking, talking to himself. To himself yeah. <laughs> you know, and the, the announcers didn't know what was going on. It's like that. No, he really finally cares. He's really finally showing that that how deep this is for him, and that's what you want out of your your main guy for Philly. So, you know, I think that this is an important year to develop Neesmith and Romeo specifically to get them more minutes uh, than you might expect. You know, obviously, I trust Brad Stevens if he's limiting Neesmith because he's he's trying to make a point about you know the limiting the mistakes in order to get more minutes. Okay, then then that's what you got to do. And if you're going to play Carson Edwards over it over Neesmith, you know maybe there's something to shopping Edwards and getting him a little bit more run. Um, but I think that that it's it's important to have a developmental year while you're competing in this type of scenario where every team is. Is is pushing their depth to the limits, um, and COVID is is keep you know keeping us from having all the games we even want to watch. So, 
it's just a different beast this year. And with the draft the way it is, I think that you have to have your eye on both prizes at the same time. And with the type of team that we have, I mean, the last few games I've been seeing the shot selection uh, that I saw in the playoffs last year, you know, when things really got difficult and, and we, you know, Jalen Brown, when he was the only guy, he forced some things at the end of those Philly games. And so did Kemba. And in the playoffs, we, we saw the same thing from Tatum. And I think that that's kind of the main thing that's going to separate us from a championship is that poise and shot selection when the games really matter against the best of the best. And that's just something that comes from experience. And I don't know if we're going to get that at the end of this year. Um, but I just like to see some Celtics pride and people out there who actually care. That's what matters to me. That sounds like a good place to end. Please follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>